All right, good morning. Uh, there, are, there are notes. The ushers are handing them out if you're interested in having them. And we're going uh, to be in and around 1 Samuel 23 to 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Uh, all, there, all around there this morning. And then also in the Psalm 54 uh, as, we, as we look into this, uh, this psalm that was very, uh, to me, very interesting to, uh, to get into. And hopefully it will be a, a, an interest to you and challenge as well. Uh, I, was, I was reading and, and trying to get some ideas on uh, the idea of uh, betrayal uh, and looking at some of the, the great betrayers that have, that have occurred through, uh, through history, whether it's Benedict Arnold or Quisling back in the, the World Wars. And uh, <clears throat> you can keep going through different individuals who betrayed either their country or betrayed somebody close to him. There's, a, there's one, name, one gentleman named Robert Hansen. He actually lived in Chicago for 20-plus for years as a Soviet spy. He was known for giving more information and selling more information to Russia uh, than any other spy. And yet he lived right under the nose of many people uh, right there in the city for all those, for all those years. And uh, it's, it's something that's, that's dear to us or, or irritates us when we are betrayed or when we find ourselves in a situation where maybe the confidence that we placed in somebody, uh, they, they shared something and they told somebody else or they turned their back, a friend or a family member turns their back on you. And that's where we're going to find David, <clears throat> excuse me, in Psalm 54, where he's going to truly feel abandoned. He's going to feel betrayed. He's going to feel the difficulties that come alongside of him in, in those feelings of loneliness and hurt. So I want to I run the story a little bit, find out where we're at historically, do some review, putting it all in context, and then taking that and looking into, uh, looking into Psalm 54. In fact, over the next couple of weeks, uh, two or three weeks here, we're going, to, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this period of, of David's life uh, in, in and around First uh, Samuel 23, 24, right, right in that period of time. So let's, uh, let's catch up where we were at in uh, some of this. Again, review you've been through. We've, we're just trying to keep it all in a perspective. So we know that First Samuel 16, David's anointed the king of Israel. Uh, Saul's not aware of it at this point. And then he goes, he kills Goliath. Saul's killed his thousands. David's his tens of thousands. Saul's jealousy toward David increases to the point that Saul is trying to kill David, tries multiple times with the spear, and then moving beyond that to, to the point of not just wanting to kill him, but actually hunting him down and going after him, setting up a, a, an encampment around his house. His wife, Michelle, or Michael, lowers him out of the house. He escapes. And from that point on, David is on the run for, for we, don't, we don't know exactly how long, if it's months, years. When you start looking at the amount of distance he travels, it's, it could be a very extended period of time that David is, David is on the run. He flees, first of all, up north to, to Nob, the city of Nob, where there's priests. He gets help from Ahimelech. Uh, he gets the sort of uh, sort of Goliath, gets some uh, food from the table of showbread, and then he flees Nob. And as we've we've talked about through Psalm 56 and Psalm 34 last week, he flees to Gath. He heads out of Israel proper, heads into Philistia, and there with the Philistines, he's he's taken captive. 
Uh, Psalm 56 talks about that point when David is in complete desperation. And David, running in fear of man, finally gets to the point where he says, what can man do to me? And he, he comes to grips with God is ultimately in control. I need to place my trust and my control, uh, my life in the sovereignty of God. Psalm 34, as we looked at last week, is when he's going to fake insanity or, or feign madness before um, Abimelech or Achish, uh, the, the king uh, of the Philistines. And he gets to the point where he is going to, he's going to push David out of Gath. And that's where we left off last week historically. Uh, Achish is going to say, why do I need another madman? I have enough of them all around in Gath anyway. So let's, let's push David out. I don't need him. Get rid of him. God protects and spares David uh, in that situation. And David is going to get, go on the run. Now, what he does is when you pick up in, in Second Samuel, or First Samuel 22, verses 1 to 4, uh, and George covered some of this a couple weeks ago, but David is going to, he's going to take his family, verse 3, and David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. So he's at the point where he has no security in his life. He can't even offer the security that he has a responsibility to do is to protect and care for his aging parents. He can't even do that. So he takes them to where other family may be in Moab. Uh, if you follow the green line, basically uh, the green is from, you know, he starts in Gibeah, he ends up at Nob, he ends up over at Gath, and then he's going to take this path all the way down to Mitzpah of, of Moab. Uh, multiple, multiple miles of journeying and journeying and journeying uh, there. So he goes from the cave of Adullam or Adullam, however you'd like to say it, it works. Uh, and he heads with his family to Moab. After that, he's going to spend a little bit of time in Moab. He's resting in the strongholds down in Mitzpah. And the prophet Gad comes to David and says, all right, you know, you don't need to stay in Moab. You need to go back into Judah. And he travels uh, to Hereth. Uh, or Hareth, uh, H-A or H-E, depending. It's translated both ways in your Bible, uh, depending on which version you have. But uh, he, goes, he goes there, verse 5 of 22. Don't abide in the hold, depart, get thee into the land of Judah, which is very important to understand. The prophet of God, Gad, is going to come to David and he's going to say, go back into the fire. Don't, don't stay out. You need to get back into Judah. You need to be where you, you, I want you to be right now. And so he sends David back in, following and obeying God, back into, back into Judah, which is this whole, um, this whole area right here is all Judah, all Keilah, Hareth, Ziph, Maon, and Gedi, Ziklag actually, even though Ziklag at this point is under Philistine control. This is all a territory that was given to the tribe of Judah. So he heads back in, he goes up to the city of Hareth. While he's in, in Hareth, he finds out that the Philistines have now invaded the city of Keilah. And so uh, during this time, during this travel, that's where Doeg slays the priests. Saul's like, nobody cares for me. Everybody hates me. Uh, you know, I guess I'll go eat worms, basically. But now David and his men, they're traveling. They're up in Judah. They're in Keilah, up in this, this area here toward the north of Judah. And he is going to actually go to the Philistine, or go and battle the Philistines. And he's going to free the men of Keilah, the city of Keilah, which to me is very interesting. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. But in the midst of, in the midst of running, he still is concerned about other people. 
in the midst of his troubles, he's still looking to say, how can I minister? He doesn't just want to be ministered unto, but he looks to say, how can I help? What can I do to, to make things right and to do that? So he goes to, he goes to Keilah, he frees the men of the city, and he now is, while he's there, he's going to inquire of the Lord, which I think is very important for us to understand. What happens in Keilah is this is where Abiathar, the only, remember after Doeg slays all the priests of Edom, or of Nob, excuse me, he, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't get Abiathar. Abiathar actually makes it to Keilah. That's where he joins up with David. That's where David has that conversation. Hey, stay with me. I will protect you. I will care for you. He shows up, he shows up at Keilah uh, down into, uh, with, uh, with the ephod, which is, uh, t- it's very important to, to note that as he comes there uh, in chapter 23, you're going to see that uh, as he's there, they said that David, behold, the city of Keilah, he's going to inquire of the Lord. And then down in, uh, down in verse 6, it says, And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David, to Keilah, that he came down with the ephod in his hand. Remember last week in pastor's message, he talked about that the ephod was important. It was how the priest would discern the will of God. They would, the, the king or the leader would go to the priest. He would ask questions and using the Urim and Thummim, he would, he would ask these yes and no questions that they would discern God's will through, through the ephod and through the priest. So now with David is the, the only priest left at Nob with the ephod and he's there and David begins to inquire of the Lord. And you'll notice, and, and we'll talk about this in the weeks to come, the numbers of time David starts to do that. It's no longer, I've got my own agenda and I'm going to figure it out. But you're going to see this new pattern of David really highlighted that he inquired of the Lord, that he inquired of the Lord, that he inquired of the Lord. And so, so David inquires of the Lord there at Keilah, and they leave Keilah because they realize that the men of Keilah are going to betray David. David just frees them. David just ministers to them, and God tells them, get out of there because they're going to betray you to Saul. So David goes on the flee to the, the wilderness of Ziph, um, flees the wilderness of Ziph. And what's interesting in the whole perspective, and George highlighted this uh, throughout the journey, but... He's going to travel. They're going to travel from Keilah. They're going to travel south, southeast towards Ziph and Maon down in that area. And while traveling, Saul is seeking after him. He's hunting him in a, in a dogged pursuit. And yet he's unable to find him. What's interesting is go to verse, verse 16 of chapter 23. You, you, David, verse 15, David saw that Saul was come seek his life in the wilderness uh, of Ziph. And he's there. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, went into the woods, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also said, Saul, my father, knows. So Jonathan says, My dad knows that you're going to be king. He doesn't like it. I know you're going to be king, and I'm, I'm committed to you, David. And Jonathan is going to minister to David in the midst of, midst of his struggle here. I find it very interesting that Jonathan it just arises, goes, finds David. And to me, there is such a divine aspect here through this trial of David, of God's protecting hand over David. Though David can't tell, David understands it, but he doesn't always see it, but how God works uh, in, in those situations. And then this is where uh, it's important for us because this is going to be the direct context or part of the direct context 
of Psalm 54. So if you're with me, let's go down to, to verse 19 of 23. So he's in the wilderness of Ziph. And uh, it says, Then came up the Ziphites to Saul, to Gibeah, saying, Does not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hekeliah, which is in the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desires of thy soul to come down. Or whenever, whenever it suits you, Saul, come on down, and we'll do our part, and we shall be able to deliver him into the king's hand. Notice Saul's response here. Saul says, Blessed be you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. He's looking and saying, finally, somebody, excuse me, uh, somebody, somebody's caring about me. Somebody finally has compassion. Remember earlier when he was trying to get the, the people to, to deal with the priest at Nob? He's like, doesn't anybody care about me? Benjamites, my, my own brethren, why aren't you going to tell me? You don't care for me that my son is in cahoots with, with Saul. Don't you, don't you care for me? And so Saul, in a selfish way, is like, finally, somebody is, is going to help me here. And somebody's going to be on, on my side. And so he, he does that. And then it says, see, therefore, he says, what I want you to do is I want to go. Prepare, know, and see his places where his haunt is, where he's hiding out. And who, is, who he has with him there. For it has told me he deals very subtly. David's sneaky. He's, he's really good. So I want you to go as if fights. I want you to go down. I want you to map it all out. Be my spies. Go and look around and figure out what I need to do in order to trap David. And so it's very important to remember and to understand. These individuals are Judites. What tribe is David from? He's from Judah. These are kinsmen. These are brothers. These are, you know, relatives potentially, but they're all from the same family lineage. You can track them all the way back to Judah and to, to, to their ancestry. And now here, David not only is going to feel betrayed by Keilah, who's also in this, the, the tribe of Judah. Now he's got these Ziphites who are actively going to betray him, more kinsmen looking to, to turn him over. And so the, uh, that area right there where the, the circle is, that's where Psalm 54 uh, is, is going to generally take place. And somewhere in this area, probably towards Ziph and Maon, uh, eventually he gets up to Angedi where there's going to be a brief respite. Uh, he's going to find Oasis at the Oasis, really, because uh, God is going to work. Remember, Saul traps him in Angedi, and he's getting to that point, and then the Philistines, by the hand of God, come in and start to attack. And Saul has to leave and Saul has to go and protect. And so once again, uh, David is, is protected. And so what do we know about this place of Ziph? We don't know a lot, but here's what we know uh, geographically. Here's what we know about the city. Ziph was given to Judah during the conquest. Joshua 15 verse 24 gives this, this place directly to, to the land of Judah. It's about 15 miles south of Bethlehem. So typically you can find a map that has Bethlehem. You can't always find a map that has Ziph on it. Uh, but it's about 15 miles and about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. So you can, if you find Jerusalem, you find Bethlehem, and you go basically 20 miles, 15 to 20 miles south, that's where Ziph and Maon uh, generally are. Now, Maon is about five miles even further south than Ziph. So when you looked at that map, it, you know, it looks really small, but 
David, just between the two, just between Ziph to Maon, that's a five-mile journey. Not to mention he's up in gas. So he's put on 25, 30, 40 miles, traveling over to, to Moab and back. He's not, it's not like, a, hey, let's take a quick jaunt and we'll, we'll be there. And how many men are with David? There's 400, eventually to 600. Isn't it amazing the way that God providentially works to protect them? I mean, can you imagine taking our, Sunday, take our auditorium Sunday morning, this morning when we have worship, you know, 450, 500 people, and we're all going to go traveling through the woods, and we're going to stay stealthily secret and quiet. Exactly. <laughs> we're like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Snap twigs. We are not Indians. It does not work. And, and yet through that, God, and now granted, they're, they're more, you know, they're not, they're not almighty men. I mean, uh, they're, they're people who just have discontentment in their hearts and their hatred. And they're, they're not, you know, all mighty men, but they do eventually, many of them become that way. But yet God providentially cares and protects through this, through this whole time. The, the hand of God through the life of David, the sovereign aspect of our God is just, it's amazing. We don't always see it, and, but we need to find comfort that that's the same God who's guiding and protecting and working in our lives uh, as well. Ziph is part of Caleb's ancestry. In fact, this area down here seems to be somewhere in the area where Caleb's like, I want this mountain and I want to go up. And we, we, know, we know about that, but that's the general area that Caleb was given his inheritance of. First Chronicles highlights that. In fact, that Ziph uh, is uh, one of Caleb's sons or grandsons. The, there's a little bit of variation which one it is, but uh, it's, it's a direct ancestry of Caleb. So these are individuals who come from a godly line. These are individuals who have grown and understand and know about Jehovah and know about his plans and his direction. And yet, this is where Psalm 54, if you look in the psalm title, it says that when the Ziphites went to Saul and said, does not David hide himself among us? So this is the context. Now, why the question mark? Here's why. 1 Samuel 26, jump over there, if you would, before we get to, to Psalm 54. Psalm, 1 Samuel 26 you now have another situation where these same individuals, they look and they go to Saul again. And the Ziphites came to Saul and Gibeah saying, Does not David hide himself in the hill of Hekeliah, Hek- Hek- uh, which is before Jeshimon? So he's back in the same general area again. Saul, you need it. So Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him. He's bringing out his immortals. He's bringing out his, his best fighters. They're going down, and they're going to, to do damage, uh, and they're going, to, they're going to end this once and for all. And, he saw that, uh, and when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David therefore sends out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. So now you have this situation in, in 1 Samuel 26, where David realizes Saul's coming again, and the Ziphites have once again betrayed. It's really interesting, and, and they're two different accounts. They're not they're not uh, same rendering, uh, different renderings of the same account. There's there's a couple little differences, but look at the there's the, that that uh, chart I gave you there. If you and you can just take this, you can go back and read through all the passages. We won't we won't do that this morning. But Psalm 23, verse 13, David's going to flee to Ziph and Moan. So there's, these are the same things, things we have in similarity. Then the Ziphites, they betray David. 
then Saul is going to come and hunt for David. And then David is given the opportunity to slay Saul. And yet David does not touch the, the Lord's anointed. He, he looks and says, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Remember, it's in the, one of the caves, which George dealt with a couple weeks ago. He has David, Saul comes in. And when I, heard you, when I heard you on there saying, you know, you get those passages in seminary that, you know, they hand to you and they say, how are you going to teach that one? I laughed because we got the same thing, you know, probably had the same seminary teacher on it. But Saul goes in to cover his feet. Okay, he's going in to relieve himself. It's a human function. He's going into a cave. David is going to come in, has the opportunity to kill Saul, and yet he cuts off part of the robe. He's smitten by that. He goes and he, you know, he confesses that before God, but then he goes before Saul and says, hey, why are you hunting after me? I'm just a little flea. I'm nothing. Why are you coming after me? I've shown you mercy. Show me mercy. Saul allows him to go. What's very interesting uh, in that, and it's, uh, it, plays into, it plays into this. Uh, oh, we'll get to it in a second. I'll wait till we get there. Um, and then in chapter 26, we have the same situation, but the Lord, it actually uses the, past, the idea that the Lord caused the deep sleep to fall upon Saul and his men. David and, and his man sneak into the camp. They sneak right up to Saul and his bodyguard, the royal bodyguard, right next to him. And they take Saul's spear and they take his water jug. And they're not going to, and, and each time his men are like, hey, God has given him into your hands. Your enemy is right there. Take his life. And David's like, I'm not going to do that. God, God is the one who's in control. He will, he will exalt me in due time. He will put me in the position that he wants me to be in when it's my time. And so he's not going to take that initiative, which I think there's some wisdom there. Obviously, there's wisdom because it's what they did. But uh, if he would have just simply slayed Saul, I mean, you're basically getting rid of one tyrant almost for then another, you know, that he's just going to take over by might and power. And people would just look and say, okay, you took the throne by blood and violence rather than God did a work and ascended David. And it lends credibility that this is God's man on the throne. So David, again, spares the life, the life of Saul. Somewhere in the midst of one of these two accounts, whether it's Psalm tw- or Samuel 26 or if it's First uh, Samuel 23, David is going to write Psalm 54. Now, in the midst of that, let's just a couple of pertinent points that really uh, reflect from the from this whole area that that reflect into Psalm 54. In 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan seeks David out to encourage him and to minister to David in the Lord. He doesn't he doesn't just come and simply say, "Hey, hope you're doing well. Love you. Have a good day." But he rehearses, hey, God has set you on the throne. I know that. I am with you. I'm going to help you. I will help and do whatever I can. I will be by your side. And so he says, I'm going to minister. And he ministers and refreshes the soul of David uh, during this time. In 23, 20 and 26, two, the Ziphites were willing to take an active role. It wasn't just this, hey, by the way, Saul, he's down here. They're going to become a spies. They're going to seek out. They're going to become the betrayers 
that are seeking after, that are looking to do violence against him. They're going to rise up against David. They have risen up against him. They're going to go and seek him out and lay plans for Saul to come, come and take him. And that idea of the evil men in Psalm 54, when we get there, that they're rising up, the wicked are oppressing, they're, they're seeking me out, they're hunting me down, these violent men. And so he highlights that. Saul and his men are actively seeking David. They're looking to do violence. They're coming now. That David highlights. Remember, he says, you're hunting me. You're coming after me in this pursuit. So they're looking to do that damage to him. David, in the whole process of everything, the opportunity to take Saul's life both times, he has these opportunities to do that. And yet he's going to he's going to talk about some very interesting. And if you go with me to First Samuel twenty four fifteen, that'll be the one we'll park on. But he's going to use these terms of judging and rendering uh, in uh, in the verses here. Um, in twenty six verse twenty three, David is talking and he says, "The Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness." The word render has that idea of to officially declare or report a legal judgment or a verdict. In chapter 24, uh, he, he comes before Saul after in the cave, and he looks, at, he looks at Saul and he says, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me to, to vindicate me of thee. That he's going to take care of me. Verse 15. And I think verse 15, I have a little note in my Bible. I put, see Psalm 54. Um, because it's, it's so clear to me as, you, as we get there. The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thy hand. So he looks and he says, in this verse, he's going to talk about saving and delivering. He's going to talk about God judging me. The, the idea of that, that judging to, to simply uh, to be the one who makes that righteous declaration. To look and say... I can look, and God can, and we'll, we'll talk about God. And then he says, hear me. He's going to make this plead. He's like, long, listen, please, God, hear, hear my case. And you know who I am, and you know where, where I'm at, and you know the situation. Please deliver me. Please vindicate me. Please help those who are rebelling against me and uh, coming against me. It's interesting when you look at Saul's, uh, David's men's perspective, and you look at David's perspective, where they're constantly and alluded. They're saying, God's delivered him into your hands. God's delivered him into your hands. But David looks and says, God will deliver, but I'm not going to be the agent of deliverance. He looks and he understands very clearly that, that God may use him, but he's going to say, it's better that Saul, Saul will die at some point in war or by natural causes. But David says, I am not going to be the one who lifts my hand against Saul. Uh, and he's going, to, he's going to have respect for the office that, that uh, Saul is in, in the, the kingly position. Saul, which is interesting to me, Saul is only worried about himself. He, do, he says, don't destroy my name in uh, 24, verse 22. When he realizes that David, David has come against him, 21 and 22, he says, uh, he says, and now behold, let's start in verse 20. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thy hand. Saul speaking to David. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord. He uses the Jehovah there. Thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto him. And that's where he eventually, when Mephibosheth's the only one left, 
he, he says, okay, is there anybody else that I can fulfill my, my response, my oath to Saul? I look, man, I'm, David, David's integrity just baffles me. Because I would look and say, all right, there's just, you know, enough other stuff left. There's nobody really. Who cares? It was Saul. He was a jerk to me. I don't have to show any kindness and mercy and grace to anybody else. And yet David looks and says, I'm going to fulfill what I promised, what I made a covenant to with God before God, and I'm going to show grace and mercy and kindness. And Saul is just, he's so concerned about himself and his name, not about what God is, what God is doing, which highlights the aspects of Saul anyway, when he's, nobody cares about me. Finally, the Ziphites are showing me compassion and concern. So David highlights here, David highlights to realize that God is active in our present world. And trusting in his deliverance protects us from being victims of our desires to punish our attackers. When people come against us, we want to lash back. That's our, that's our sinful nature, and we want, to, we want to give vindication on our own. We want to lay into a person. And, and David is looking and saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to let God do some of this. I'm going to trust in God's perspective in, in these situations. David has nowhere to turn. Think about it. He can't go anywhere in Israel. Saul's going after him. He can't go back up to Nob where he found a little bit of help because they're all dead. He can't go to Gath because they're, they're not on his side anyway, and they've kicked him out. He can't go to Keilah because they're, they're going to turn him over to Saul. He can't go down to Ziph because his own brothers are going to turn him over to Saul. He's in Maom, but he's hiding. He's trying to get around. Finally plant, finds a little bit of respite in, in Engedi, but again, he can't, he can't do anything because eventually Saul's going to come right back and try, try to get him. He's got nowhere to turn, and his, his circumstances seem completely impossible, and yet David finds possibility through God. He says, God, through anything in our situations, whatever it is that seems impossible, whether it's the medical difficulties, the financial difficulties, the personal relationships we're having with people, uh, maybe it's the, 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 our marriage is on the rocks, whatever it is, those impossible things that seem like we can't overcome them, through God, they are possible. And David understands that. And David sees, I may feel like I have nowhere to turn, but I'm going to keep going forward. I can't go left. I can't go right. I can't go backwards. I'm going to keep going forward in the way that God wants me to go. And so he's going to talk about this. David finds comfort and refreshment through God and the godly. He's going to, he's going to highlight both. So let's go over to Psalm 54. Let's take all of that historical context that we just crammed full in our brains and let's look at Psalm 54 and see how David, David deals with this. Now, we're going to start in verse 4 because that's the central, the central key, what David is driving at. It's his declarative statement of this is who God is. This is where I find comfort. This is how I'm getting through. This is how I've gotten through the betrayal of these people, of dear friends, of people I've delivered, of people I've ministered to, of people I'm trying to help, and yet they're still, and they're all betraying me. He says, verse 54, or verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. So he says, I am finding comfort and refreshment through God, my helper, and through the one who the Lord is with. Those, those godly individuals who are coming and minister, the Jonathans of my life, the men who are sneaking around through the woods and in the cracks and crevices and hiding in caves day in and day out with me, who are ministering and are helping me. He's saying, I am finding comfort and I am able to get through these difficult times because of God and because of godly individuals. 
And David's truth that he highlights here, I want to take a little bit different perspective this morning. I want us to look and say, okay, what did David find comfort in? And how does that help us? If you're here hurting, what can you learn from that truth? Maybe you're here and you can be a comforter, which we all can be, to somebody else who's hurting. What can we, what can we learn? I don't want to use the word counselor because as soon as you say counsel, people, some people are like, oh, I can't be a counselor. I'm not, I'm not trained. I'm not skillful, which I disagree with. I believe we're all competent to counsel if we're, we're, we're working through the Bible and using Bible-based advice and truth from it. But looking and saying, okay, if you're a comforter, you're, you're in a situation where you're able to help somebody, what are some truths you can learn? If you're here today and you're hurting, what can we learn from Psalm 54 that, that can help. Maybe you feel betrayed. Maybe you feel abandoned. You feel lonely. You're going through those hard things. What can that help you? How can Psalm 54 help us? So principles from the hurting, from the hurting, for the hurting, from the hurting. Uh, David says, first of all, deliverance and vindication, they come only from one source and one source alone. That is God. Verse 1, verse 4. Notice verse 1 and, and think back to what he was saying in 1 Samuel. He says, save me, O God, by thy name. Judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. You hear, you can see where David was talking about 24, 15. Judge me, deliver me, save me. Hear my prayers, listen to my pleads. David comes again and says, I, I, I need God. The deliverance that comes. The idea of the name, it has much more significance than for us. The, the idea of a name, it, it is God's character is enveloped in his name. So when he is saying, deliver me by your name, he's, he's saying, deliver me by your character, by who you are, what is in your name, the, the strength you have, the person that you are. You, we could go through and we could list all these characteristics of God that's all wrapped up in him, in his name. And that's why Saul even saying, well, I'm, I'm just worried about my name. I'm worried about me. I'm worried about all that is my my lineage, my, my dynasty. Don't do it. It's interesting when you look at this psalm, uh, God's name stands for God's person. To invoke the name of God is to invite his presence into your circumstance. That's why we pray in God's name. That's why we ask him to come because we're saying, God, we want you to listen. We want your presence. We don't want you to just be a, a transcendent God, although you are. We don't want you just out there. We want you imminently in our lives. We want you to be working. In verses 1, 3, and 4, David uses the, generic is a bad word, the common name for God that's used, Elohim. But he's going to go from general to specific. In verse 4, he's going to say, Behold, God is my helper, the Lord, or Adonai, the master, the one who's in control. Adonai, he he is with those. They're those who are following after Adonai, those who are letting him be their Lord of their lives. He's saying, they're coming after me. And then he uses, he gets very specific, verse 6. He says that the Lord, O Lord, for it is good, by thy name. He gets to Jehovah. So he's using very uncharacteristic in a lot of the Psalms. He uses multiple names of God. But he uses multiple names of God to try and describe the character, the name, the power, the majesty, the covenant-keeping aspects of his God and of our God. So he looks and says, deliverance is going to come through the name, through the character of our God. He says, God strengthens or allows him, God's strength allows him to judge. He says, deliver me by your name, judge me by your strength. And it's, it's only through God's strength that, that we can. 
Um, he's, he's as Jehovah. He's the self-existent one. He is self-sufficient. He has no one to answer to. He has no one that he depends on. And because he depends on nobody and he knows all things and he is all powerful and he is all wise, he has the ability and the strength and the right to judge, to discern between individuals and, and situations. He is that wise one. We want God, please judge me. See if there be any, as he's going to say in Psalm 51, see if there's any wicked way in me. Make sure that I'm right. So he looks to say, judge. And then our prayers, he says, hear me, O God. Hear my prayers. Hear my plead in verse verse 2. Hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Do you ever think about the fact that our prayers, what they end up doing is they recognize our inability. God, I can't do this on my own. We'll, we'll say that, but that's, that's literally what it is. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I am not able. And so as I look at that truth, if I am trying to comfort somebody, I need to realize that I need to admit my inability. I don't have all the answers, which is very daunting as a pastor. You come to me and you say, Pastor, what do I do in this situation? I'm like, it's a really good question. Um, and, and one of the things I was taught, and I think it's very important, is to say, you know what, I, I don't know right now, but I do know that the Bible has the answers. Give me some time, let me do some study, and let me get back to you. Don't look and feel like if you're, if you're trying to comfort, you're trying to counsel, don't feel like you have to have all the answers right away, right at the moment. You are not Google, you're not the Bible's Google. You, you, have, you have time, offer that. Someone once told me, I put the blockheads up there, I, I like Gumby, but uh, someone told me even a blockhead can counsel if they're willing to be Bible-based. And, I, and I've just, through my life, I've been like, okay, there are many times I'm a blockhead. I want to make sure that I'm Bible-based in what I'm offering. If you're hurting, you need to depend on the dependable one. God is the one who's able to deliver. God is the one who's able to discern and may see that, yes, the person, somebody is doing something awful to you and God sees that. Don't, don't look and say God doesn't care. He is dependable. He is the one that we can trust. Number two, make sure you're genuinely following God. Notice down in verse three, he looks and he says, these people are coming against me for strangers are risen up against me and oppressors seek after my soul. Why are they doing this? Because they have not set God before them. Make sure that you're genuinely following God. The word that's used for strangers here, very interesting. It's often used for foreigners, people outside of the covenant people of God, outside of the Israelites. And yet David uses it to refer to these Israelites, to these other Judites, to Saul and his men, who are, they're they're strangers. They're coming after me. They're acting as, even though they have the term Jew, they're acting like non-Jewish individuals. Even though we may have the term Christian, are there times that people act under the name of Christianity, they still act in a very ungodly, unchristlike way? And, and David uses that term, stranger. He says, they have not set God before them. The, the picture here is of having a guide, or one person said like a mountain guide, the Sherpa, who you're going to scale Mount Everest. And if you're going to scale Mount Everest, you don't just go at it alone. You hire a Sherpa and you follow each and every step they take. Because you don't know if this is going to fall off the cliff or what's going to, there's going to be a crack, a crevice in the ice. You follow directly. You keep your eyes set on 
that mountain guide and you follow after. He's saying these individuals, they've got their eyes off God. They're not following in the footprints daily of God. They've taken their eyes and they've turned aside and now this is what they've found themselves in, in doing. He's saying that's not where we should be. He's saying, but that's who these, these men who are coming after me, these violent men, these oppressors, they're doing that. So if you're here today and you're saying, hey, I want to be a comfort, make sure you keep your advice Bible-based. Don't be somebody who you're going you're gonna to start leading somebody down your own wisdom, down your own way. You make sure that it is coming back to the Bible. Here's what God's Word says. Here's a principle or a truth I've learned from God's Word in my Christian walk. But bringing it back to God's Word. If you're hurting, keep your eyes on the big picture. David looked here and said, these individuals are sinners. They're, the reason they're doing this against me is because... They're not following God. They may not give a lot of comfort all the time, but it does help us to understand the reasons people do things against us is because they're sinners just like we are. It's one of the ways we can eventually get ourselves to forgiveness is understanding that I am to forgive others just as Jesus Christ forgave me. And so I keep my eye, keep my eye on the big picture. And no matter what you are doing or others are doing around you, you do right. Don't let it be said that in the midst of your difficulties, you've chosen to take your eyes off of the mountain guide. That you've chosen to stop following God and you've chosen to take your own way. You've chosen to take your own wisdom. But rather, as James says, seek the wisdom of God, follow after him, and continually follow in his footprints, his footsteps. And that's, the, even as, as counselors, encouraging others in the midst of difficulty to you still do what's right. It may not be easy, but you do what's right. Don't take your eyes off of God. And that's where David looks and says, I've learned that the reason they're doing this is their eyes are not on God. And I can find comfort that right now God can judge between me and them. God judge between Saul and I. I'm working on doing right. If David knew he was not doing right, would he invoke the name and the power of God to say, judge between me and Saul? No, no, God, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm living wrong. I'm living sinful. I'm living in a, you know, a, a jerkish way according to you. But I want you to judge me because I'm right with you. It implies the understanding that David knew he was walking right before God. And he was working and doing his best to be holy in the midst of his difficult circumstances. Uh, number three, sharing the suffering, which is part of the reason we typically don't like to help comfort people because it gets awkward. It gets hard. It gets personal to share with their suffering. And that's where he says, the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Jonathan came, he ministered. These men are going beside me and they're helping me day in and day out through this difficult time. He says, the Lord is with me. God is using people to encourage David through his difficulties. I believe that we as Christians must gain a grasp of this truth again. To not just look and say, well, God is the one who's going to help. God is the one who's going to get them through. And we're going to leave it to God. That is truth. But we need to be Jesus in skin. We need to look and say, how can I help the hurting? How can I minister to the lonely? Now, this week I had a, a situation I got to go visit. Just randomly said, okay, I'm going to go visit one of our widowers. And I knocked on the door, and nobody had seen him in a while. And uh, 
he just looked, I said, you doing okay? He's like, no, I've been sick for a bunch of days. Can you go to the store and get Kleenex for me? I don't have any Kleenex. I don't have any toilet paper. I don't have any medicine. I don't, it was just like, oh, okay. This is, this is a responsibility I have to help, to comfort, to, to look and say, how can I do this? And there are multiple cases in our church, multiple cases in our, in our, in our surrounding community. We need to be individuals who are looking and saying, if I'm to be godly, pure religion is this, pure and undefiled, to visit the fatherless and the widows. Those who cannot give anything back to me. That's what James is driving at. I need to be an encouragement. What did David have to offer? Remember to Abiathar, I don't really have anything to offer you, but I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. And yet they minister to him. Jonathan, crown prince, crown king of Israel, though he's not the anointed one. I mean, he should be the... He looks and says, I don't have anything to offer you, David, but I'll be by your side. I'll minister to you. I'll help you. I'll refresh you in God's words. We need to get back to being Jesus in skin. We need to get to that point where we are encouraging others through the difficulties. So if you're a comforter, be active to seek out, sit with, and listen to the hurting. Do you know people who are hurting? Do you know individuals here who will be here who just need somebody to listen to? Someone just to talk to. They're lonely. They're depressed. They're finding difficulty. Don't look. And, and I've, I've found myself guilty of this. Hey, if you need anything, just give me a call. And what I've done is I've, I've passively said I'm there to help. I've looked and said, I'm there for you. But boy, I hope they don't call me because I've got a bazillion things to do. I need to actively go and look for opportunities to minister and to say, how can I help? Look for those opportunities to listen. If you're hurting, find somebody who is not simply going to tell you what you want to hear, but what you may need to hear. Don't just look for, for the, you look for a godly individual who's going to help point you in godliness. Because look at what, look what David says. He, he gets to a, a very difficult verse in verse 5, he says, He shall reward evil unto my enemies. Cut them off in thy truth or thy faithfulness. Is there. As we need to be willing to speak or accept the difficult truths of Scripture. David looks and says, my enemies are done. They're toast. God has cut them off. He has put them to silence. We need to be planting the word of God in our hearts and in the hearts of others, especially when we're ministering and we're trying to comfort and counsel and help. The idea of, of, of counseling, to admonish them, the admonishment, to place into their mind, to take the truths of Scripture and to put it in the mind of somebody. So we're willing. He says they're, they're going to be a reward of evil. They've gained what they, they've, they're going to give. God's going to give what they've earned. The, the principle of the harvest, that you're going to reap what you sow, that you will reap more than you sow, that you will reap in a different season. Those aren't easy truths, especially if somebody is hurting and you have to look at them when you start getting into it and say, hey, part of the reason you're hurting right now is the choices you're making. You're not choosing to live right. You're not choosing to do, do according to God's word and you're going to reap that. Just like he says, Saul and these men, they're going to receive their, their reward, what they've earned. God is going to cut them off. He's going to put them to silence. Those are not easy truths. And if you, and, and you're in a situation where you're offering comfort, but you realize that in the midst of offering comfort, you have to admonish. You have to look and say, you're, you're not doing right. You must be willing as a comforter to speak those words. 
You have to do it. God does it in truth or in faithfulness. His faithfulness is the reason. His truth that he establishes is the reason he's going to, to deal with the unjust. To look at the wicked and say, I'm going I'm to deal with it. So as a comforter, don't be fearful of speaking the truth in love. That's, that's a responsibility. David's able to look and say, God's going to do this because of who God is, because of his name, because of his justness, because of his character. And he speaks a hard saying that they're going to be cut off, they're going to be done. He doesn't, he, David is consistently saying, I don't want to see Saul dead, or I'm not going to be actively involved in it. And yet he says, God is, God is going to do that. If you're hurting, you live rough, live right in rough times. You do not want to be on the end of that verse that he's going to reward evil men unto my en- or reward evil unto my enemies. That he's going to cut them off in thy truth. The result, the reason they're experiencing that result is because of their actions. So you encourage those who are hurting to live right. And if you are hurting, you continue to do right because you do not want to be swallowed up in your own devices. That is where bitterness creeps in. And as we allow bitterness to creep in in our difficult times, it consumes us. It's that root that dwells down into our lives and consumes every aspect. And when it consumes us, it hurts us in the long run. We have to live right during those rough times. Number five, when God acts, praise him in verbal and tangible ways. Notice he says, he says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. He says that I'm going to freely, I'm going to offer what is not expected of me. This is an offering. It's not his tithe. It's him giving more than what was expected. This is more than just a platitude. Oh, oh praise God. He helped me through this. This is, this is excessive praise and the, the vaulting of God's name. And looking and saying, this is who he is. This is what he's done. And going beyond. I, I truly believe if, if God has helped you through difficult times, then the natural response to do more is you helping others through those difficult times. To go in to say, okay, I'm lonely. I've been able to get through it, but I know there's others who are lonely. I want to go minister to them. There are others who are hurting. I want to go help them. Offering more than what is just simply expected. To look and to say, he's going to say, I'm going to praise thy name. Again, that, that name idea is synonymous with the character of God. He's like, I'm not just going to say thank you, God, but I'm going to praise him. What got him, what got you through the rough time? Was it God's mercy? Was it God's grace? Was it God's strength? Was it God's enduring hope? Was it God's Holy Spirit? Was it, was it God's kindness? Was it his, his strength, the fact that he is compassionate? Get specific with what it is that got you through. It helps us to reflect more on the great grand majesty of our God. So he says, I'm going to praise his name and I'm going to go above and beyond, not just throwing out a platitude of, oh, thank God he got me through that. But to truly, genuinely praise God. If you're a comforter, share in that joy. Rejoice with that individual. Spend time in prayer. Spend time writing something down. Spend time where you're, you're saying, hey, let's go, let's go talk to somebody that was praying for us. And let's go share with another individual who's been, who knows of the situation. And let's talk about how God worked in this situation. You share in the joy. Remind others that God is good even in grief. That even in those difficult times, I'm, David, remember, David is not delivered yet. And yet he's going to say, God is still good. 
Your name, he says, your name is good. Jehovah, you're good. Verse 6. God is still good in the midst of our grief. If you're hurting, don't forget God. It's so easy when we get, we get hurt, when we're struggling, when we're facing depression, to stay away from the place that is designed by God to help us. That's the church. Maybe part of the reason is because we as Christians in our church, in the church, aren't ministering the way God intends us to minister to people, to reach out, to help the hurting. Be willing to give more than is expected. And then last, look beyond the present. Look beyond the present circumstances to future deliverance. Verse number seven, he says, For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. We, we dwell in the lanes of the past, and we stay in the past. But maybe for some of us, it's time to start dwell, stop looking here and look up and say, okay, wait, I need, to, I need to start looking to the future and change lanes to, to get over. David, remember, David's not been delivered, delivered yet. And yet he sees God's justice as it's been accomplished. He's like, my enemies, they're toast. They're done. They're, they're finished. They've been given up to God. His confidence is in God's good character. That God in all of this, um, my eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. He's like, I know what God is his desire. He does not deal with, he does not let evil slide. He deals with it. He looks and says, I know what God is going to do. And I have confidence in that. He looks to the future. He says, it may not be right now. It might not be at this moment. But he says, I have confidence in God in the future. As a comforter, Offer hope through the name of God. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, Proverbs says. We must offer. Through God, you can get through it. Through God, you can find sufficiency in him. Through God, you can overcome depression, loneliness, abandonment. You can do that. And if you're hurting, know that God is dependable and just. That's where David finds comfort. That's where David finds hope, where he finds strength. In God, in the midst of being rejected by everybody, the Ziphites, the Kelites, Israel, Gath, anywhere he turns, he's rejected. He feels a depend, uh, abandoned, and yet he knows that God and others are dependable, and he can get through that. Warren Wearsby said it this way, we finish here. David has more suffering and peril to experience, and we'll talk some more about that in the weeks to come, before he would ascend to the throne but he was confident that the Lord would see him through. No matter what you face, God is able to get you through it. Don't run from him. Change lanes from dwelling on the past and look to the future and saying, God, how can you help me through this? And if you're here and you're going in a good time right now in life, let's really work at being Jesus in skin. Going out, helping others, ministering, look for those who are hurting and help them.